Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, welcome to the 283rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons George Ellis, Rachel K. Ivey, Liam Johnson, Kogo Kijuru, and Matthias Kepler. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got a kind of eclectic episode. We're answering a listener question, we've got a little bit of catch-up, and we're also debuting a new feature on the show, a new, a new segment. I'm calling our feature feature, maybe Oren hates that. We'll see. But let us know what you know, what you think of the comments. Basically, we thought to ourselves, boy, we get pitched so many great films that we don't have the bandwidth of the time to get to all of. So what if we did like some tighter, more concise micro interviews just to kind of get into the world of what indie filmmakers are, are doing? So, yeah, we talked with Robin August. He has a film called Party With Me. It's out on Amazon Prime now. We'll get into that with him. But we thought we could glean a few few super fast tips and tricks and insights from him along with the rest of our show. Yeah, I love talking to Robin. You know, when you make kind of a lower, like a micro budget film, there is like this kind of artistic spirit and indie spirit and excitement that comes with it that is sometimes lost on like the client jobs, the bigger jobs, the, you know, the things you're doing for money. So it's going to be a good episode. We're going to talk to Robin about his movie. We're going to take a listener question. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you about something I was thinking about this morning. So I was talking to our friend Carlin Hudson this morning. She's on her way to Kansas City to work on a commercial. And she was telling me about kind of the the various stressful elements of all commercial jobs where we're having to shoot more things than we have time for. And we were commiserating on the anxieties that we have. And I was talking to her about how I feel like... For some reason, you don't you don't seem to have those same anxieties about a shoot. I mean, I think you have the same anxieties that we all do about like our career and the direction and what should we do? What's the next move? What's who are we as artists, as craftspeople, etc. But I rarely ever see you wake up and say like, oh, I have to shoot 17 pages in one day and the cast is wrong and we just lost our location. Like, I feel like the stresses of production, I I don't see that anxiety in you in a way that I feel like I feel them, you know, 15 years into into the business, I still wake up and I'm still like, I don't know how we're going to get all these shots. And I don't know if like, I just saw this commercial that did these awesome dolly moves. And now I really want to do those. But I know I don't have time for doing that. And like, like all that stuff. What's your take? Am I 
just totally misreading you or are you yeah i think you're mostly misreading me yeah i which is funny because i i think i express my other anxieties much more explicitly to you which is probably why you're confused i feel like i complain about a lot of stuff to you but yeah you're right i don't i i tend to internalize the shoot of it all and i I, here's maybe a reason why maybe this is just wishful thinking but the other stuff that we're talking about oh who am i as a as an artist who am i as a craftsperson what is my career all that stuff those, those are all nebulous things you don't really have a ton of control over the beautiful wonderful thing about being a director is that you do have some real tangible control over the way that your shoot goes and so it gives me a thing to focus on so rather than being like oh dang i don't like this or i don't like that or i can can't do this or whatever i'm more just like okay i gotta call this person and make sure this happens and and so my my anxiety maybe manifests more as active work in a way that those other things it doesn't get to it's funny because i kind of feel like my lesson that i take from you is almost the opposite which is when I am super stressed about all the minute details of the shoot and how we're going to do this in time and how we're going to, you know, get the camera from the steady cam to the dolly or whatever, how this actor that was kind of weird in the audition, how I'm going to get them to do the thing. I know that the agency wants them to do, even though I know they don't want to do, you know, like all those things I think like, well, Matt would just be like, well, let's just go to set and let's just, Let's just put it on its feet and let's just <laughs> shoot it, you know, and figure it out like that kind of one step at a time thing. And like, you know, if we don't get everything, then we'll figure out what what's important, what's not important. Like there is kind of and, and maybe I'm misreading you, but even, you know, you just had a shoot a couple of days ago out of town. And like whenever I check with you, like how your shoots are going or went, you're always like, yeah, great good (laughs) everything's everything's great well i mean good whenever you ask me i'm like "Ah, yeah yeah everything is a disaster i say good because i don't have time to complain to you right and the the, those last shoots did go pretty well which is nice yeah i i guess i'm worried about all of those details too or, or concerned with them or consumed by them but i try not to let it phase me on the day maybe like do you lose sleep the night before yeah oh my god you don't know i didn't how you'll make your day yeah but but I guess how I would make my day is different because I really, really, really you, if you if you're starting off a day not knowing how you're going to make it, that's different than starting off your day knowing that it's tight. But if things go right, you'll make it. And so I really just work my hardest to never be in a situation where what we're setting out to do is basically impossible. Right. But that is out of your control so often, you know, like you show up to a location and it's like the person that was supposed to have the key to it is two hours late. Well, like, that's different. That's not you starting off with an impossible plan. That's you having to field problems, right? So, okay, or so you're you're right. That's a bad example. But maybe the night before your shoot, the client says, hey, we want you to shoot everything, two versions of everything, one where they're wearing this yellow shirt that's approved and one where they wear the screen shirt that we think is way better. Yeah, not to blow anybody up, but my attitude with that would be like, hey, that sounds really cool. I would love to do that. There's physically not enough time in the day. So let's talk to our producer about it. You know, like you can't if you say yes to something impossible, then, yeah, that would stress me out for sure. And so if someone asks me something impo- asks of me something that is impossible, my job is to say, hey, I don't think that we can pull that off. So let's figure out what it would take to. Do we need more days? Do we need another camera? Do we need a bigger crew, et cetera? 
and look, it's really, really, really hard to say to a client, this isn't possible unless you spend more money or something. But that's also, especially in a commercial, the job of the producer to deal with as well. So I'm working with them to to troubleshoot and to figure out all of the different ways that that can happen. But the the hard, bad news, I think, of, hey, this is impossible. If you're frank with your team about what they're asking, you know, then it's, it's you know, you're doing everything you can, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you transfer your anxiety to the producer. Um, maybe, but I guess, again, it's like you can't be held responsible for saying yes to something that's impossible unless you say yes to it. Yeah. I mean, I guess in my point of view, it's like nothing's impossible. Of course, we can get these 17 different versions you want, but now we have to lose my cool dolly shot <laughs> and we have to lose that lighting gag that I wanted. And now we're going to lose my improv that I wanted to try out. So, yeah, which is a bummer and it's stressful. And like, certainly we've all part of directing part of what makes you a professional, frankly, is like learning how to live with certain compromises, no matter what scale you're on. You know, I always I talk about it on the show, but I remember watching the documentary about the Ryan Johnson Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And, you know, there's this whole sequence where, like, he wanted to have these dogs with, like, crystals on them running around. Or or when he's, like, on the island, like, Luke's island, he had all this crazy stuff that it was planned. And at a certain point, they're like, hey, Ryan, we literally don't have enough money. We don't have the budget to do it. And this is on a Star Wars movie coming off of a hit. Right. The biggest franchise in the world of all time uh, on a hot streak. And they're like, no, you, you have to compromise. And they ended up with CG crystal foxes or whatever instead of practical ones. And this isn't just like a lark of a creature. There's a plot point to them. It's not background. Like these things, they're important to the story. And so if, if a person shooting a Star Wars movie has to make compromises, then, you know, then we all have to. And so, yeah. well, that's that's the job. I always thought if they had real crystal foxes in that movie, it would have made one and a half billion dollars yeah. instead of 1.3. Yeah, so. exactly. Exactly. Jokes on the studio. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, thanks, Matt, for um, for making me feel the same way that I did at the beginning of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just confirming. I approach a job with uh, unlimited anxiety and sleeplessness. And stress, and you are just a cool as a cucumber because you know it's going to work out. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's going to work out. And I'm, I, it's funny, you know how stressed I am. I was just complaining to you, so it's, it's just a yeah. But it was, it's like a macro stress. It's yeah, not a yeah, that's micro true. stress. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear from our listeners. Are you? Do you get micro stressed or macro stressed or both? You can email us at justshootitpod at gmail if you want to support our anxieties you can go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod and uh you know throw a buck or four or ten into our coffers to help pay our editors to help keep this podcast going if you pledge ten dollars even for one month i will personally mail you a just shoot it podcast hat maybe i'll even throw in a dvd of my feature film (laughs) or is that the most pathetic thing you've ever heard i mean look I've been in your basement and you do need to clean it out. So <laughs> what if I just start mailing people random things <laughs> like here's a, like here's a pair of socks that don't fit me anywhere anymore, which like, what? I guess is not a thing that happens. Yeah, I was going to say, are your feet <laughs> swelling? 
I guess the, they are. The elastic wear out in your... Drinking a lot of salt water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oren's got gout, everyone. So really help us out on that Patreon. Um, but yeah, patreon.com slash pod. We appreciate it. You will even get your name shouted out at the beginning of a Just Shoot It episode. And when we make NFTs out of these episodes, you will forever be enshrined in a non-fungible yeah. token episode i'm gonna wait until they're somehow even worse for the environment and then we'll put one out oh come on man <laughs> enough of this environment stuff uh, yeah not only are they worthless digital goods but they're also terrible for everyone um enough about nfts and my cynicism let's hop into the rest of the show we're going to talk with our our friend robin about his new film party with me 
the friends and the references and everything I had, uh, it was kind of like, why am I going to wait another five years? You know, love it. Well, that brings us to our second question. How'd you fund the film? Uh, I put it, I did it like the idiot I am. I put it on a credit card and hoped that it would, uh, get paid back. And, uh, I was lucky it did. I got enough, uh, music video gigs that it was, uh, it, been, it was able to pay for itself at the end of the year. So I'm very lucky. I would not recommend that. Wait, but you got music video gigs off of the feature? No, no, I was, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of music video gigs. Um, I think I actually just passed like my 50th. So I, I got enough music video gigs that paid me enough money to basically pay for the feature. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So you made, you made your money back as a director. Can I ask, are you willing to say how much you spent on it? Or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it. it it's, it's already an article in No Film School. It's, it was 7000 7, I mean, after, yeah. Yeah. I mean, after, you know, submissions to film festivals and all the other stuff that comes with it, it's probably around 10K now. But uh, initially, it was just, just over $7,000. And we shot it in eight days. So when you say you put it on a credit card, you mean one credit card? Yeah. Like you just like, hey, you're like, hey, discover. Here we go. A Sky Miles card. <laughs> there you go. I probably could have yeah. got a better credit card, got better uh, perks, but I, <laughs> I got a couple of free flights. That was good. That, that's a good, good, um, Good piece of advice. That's awesome. Cool. Can you tell us before we go on to the next question, just the, can you give us the log line for the film? Uh, you know what? I never even made a log line. I, I have like a, the thing I said was, uh, I think it was like a, uh, man, I don't even, can't even think of a log line that would say for it. That's okay. Uh, just it, tell us, tell us what, uh, what it's meant. What it's, about. <laughs> it, yeah. it's amazing how many times we hear that. You know, it's funny though, because I actually, it's, it, I just finished a script and that was the one thing I had to do and I hadn't really done it before. And it's hard. It is not as easy as sure to, to try to really get it. Distinctly say like uh, this is what it is. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a a weekend in the life of uh, the main character. Uh, she she comes back from the funeral of her father who died of cancer. It's not really revealed fully the beginning, but it's just her you know dealing with with grief. It's really a film about grief. It also has mixtures of just being a creative in a town where you're not sure who your real friends are, who, who are your, just your business partners and, and who's your real friends and, and navigating through I that. Can like, relate. Big yeah. Time. Just, just not knowing if someone actually really is there with you in that pain in, in a town like this. And uh, yeah. Matt, are we friends? Is that? <laughs> that the, yeah. I'm glad you picked up what I was throwing down there. Or Awesome. And would you describe it as a comedy or a, a drama? Yeah, it's a dark comedy. It's definitely dark a comedy. dark comedy. I mean, it's uh, I, Everything I write, I like to have a little bit of uh, hope at the end. But uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a, I make a joke in the film about uh, my dog Skip because that was a movie that was just like it's all nice and awesome halfway through the movie, and then it just goes like turns into a train wreck. And I'm just like, why did you do this to me? It's kind of like my film. It kind of mirrors that same kind of thing. Cool. So how did you uh, cast it? You know, I, I took his advice, and I just uh, I had some. Uh, <laughs> Mark Duplass's had, advice? Yeah, I uh, just cast your talented friends that you know that would do it for free ninety nine, and uh, give them some points in the back end, and and hope they'll say yes. You know, I, I wrote it all kind of backwards the way that he described it. I, this is not a film I probably would have normally done as my first film. I, I'm more of a genre director. I love like horror and uh, sci fi, and uh, but you know, with the amount of money that I had, I knew that I had to work backwards. So I just figured out who I had. I wrote characters uh, that went to their strengths. I figured out what locations I had I could use and kind of just wrote the story around that. And then funny enough, the uh, the story came out that became something very personal to me and the lead actress. So it kind of worked out. It was kind of insane. 
I'm kind of curious why if, I mean, writing a movie about grief in a city, in an industry city, obviously is, I'm sure, personal in some way. Why is your, why is the protagonist a woman and not a man? Like what, 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 where did that, how did you make that choice? You know, it's funny. I, most of the things I write, I don't like it. I don't want the person to be or look like me at all or be anything like me. I want to put some of my ideas into maybe some of the characters had, but let them live. But uh, I don't know. There's something about it that feels weird. If I wrote like a, the lead character, some like blonde haired, blue eyed guy. I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to write that. I'm not saying I would never do it, but I, I tend to write. I don't know why. I, I, I definitely like female lead characters a lot. It's probably maybe just growing up in the nineties and some strong female lead characters that I enjoyed. I, I just always gravitated towards that. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but I'm, I'm open-minded to anything. I just, that's kind of what I've been uh, writing recently. Awesome. Um, tell us, how did you get distribution or how are you distributing it? Uh, I mean, I got approached by a couple of like uh, places. I don't know. I looked, Googled them and went, I don't know uh, who they are, but they were interested. And uh, I just reached out to uh, Gravitas because I heard good things about them as far as an independent uh, film distributor. And I just reached out to them and they got back to me and said they watched it and they loved the movie. So it was kind of, the best thing go. that could happen, you know. And, Wait, and so there was no festival premiere that like brought distributors to you, or, or how did they? How did people know about your movie? Yeah, well, it got it got into this film festival called Method Fest uh, in LA. It was actually one of the only festivals to um, through COVID to still do a festival. It was a drive-in. Yeah, it was really rad, uh, and I was very lucky because I had other uh, the other festivals I submitted, I got in, but they were the ones I picked because they were like really just love the movie so much, and I'm lucky that they were one of the only ones that actually still have an event still around yeah 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 and that was and, and i grew up in uh this little town called lompoc i don't know if you've seen uh yeah yeah uh, driven uh, paddleton <laughs> have you seen paddleton the speaking of duplass is the latest uh, movie no no i thought you were gonna say sideways which i'm sure you're yeah that's another here. one yeah, yeah. And all those all those restaurants they went to that's where i like went to prom for dinner and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, yeah. no there's a there's a uh, kind of a famous drive in there that's it's shut down now but it's still uh, like the the screen is still up and in that movie they're actually playing like paddle ball against it and i was like oh my god that's my hometown so i grew up like that's where i fell in love with films was double features at the drive-in so it was really kind of a cool experience to have your first film at a drive-in now is it true if the festival is at a drive-in instead of paying for your hotel room they just cover your gas yeah yeah they did not cover gas that's for sure but they gave you some free uh white claws a free oil change <laughs> yeah during the movie there's some free white claws and then drive home now yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so Gravitas is distributing the film. Yeah, it's uh, it's been distributed for, it came out this year. Uh, just got on Amazon Prime. So it's free for those who have subscription plug. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been cool. It's, I've gotten a lot of great feedback. Uh, I, it's obviously not my Citizen Kane or anything, but a lot of great uh, reactions to it. So I'm very happy with the results. I, c- I couldn't be happier with what what we had to work with and what we did. I think it turned out great. I think it's also interesting that you just straight up cold called them. You were like, okay, who are the places that like distribute movies of this size? And then just like reached out. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I went big too. I, you know, sure. an idiot. Like, uh, Sony? Sun, Sun. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, mean, I but paid the Sundance, you know, hundred, whatever amount knowing it'd never get a chance, but you know, you never know. You never know. So I, I shoot for the stars sometimes, but then I go down to a earth level and go, okay, what, what is more likely for this film to have any audience. So 
I, I'm actually really curious about the Amazon Prime distribution because you said it's not like just the marketplace where people can rent it on Amazon Prime. You said it's actually free for members, for subscribers of Amazon Prime. So does yeah. that mean there is like some sort of like buyout or fee that they gave you? Yeah, I think it now now it's on free on Prime. I think it goes off of some kind of algorithm or something. Like the more that I promote it, the more people talk about it and get reviews that it pays out more to the filmmaker or the or the because they're taking like a percentage. It's not it, it's there's it's still a distributor, but it's not like an aggregator, I guess. I had to learn all about this stuff. I was like, what is the difference? But yeah, they take more it's the percentage that they take. And other ones that I that approached me, I think they were more just aggregators. So But but where does the money come from? The prime memberships, yeah. Or Oren's asking, did did you get paid a, any sort of upfront fee for no, the prime no, distribution? Got nothing. I, don't, I haven't seen a check yet. It all comes quarterly. But so basically, the more people that watch on Prime who have Prime subscriptions, the more people who watch your movie, the more money you will get. Basically, yeah. I think once it's on like streaming for free with a subscription, it's all about the algorithm. But uh, before that was sales, so it's like it was a. Uh, they even made like a, I have a DVD uh, copy. They made DVD hard copies. It was kind of cool because that's probably going to be a relic. And they had, you know, they sold it on certain sites for rent or purchase. And now it's a subscription based. And I think the next level is AVOD. That's right. like the last. Right. Which is like 2B, like 2B, yeah. Pluto, those sorts of things. Which basically. apparently from what I've heard is more lucrative now. Yeah. <laughs> which I yeah. find interesting. Yeah. It is uh, interesting that they make DVDs like... Why? Like, I don't know why they would make those. I mean, they, you, I'm sure you're paying for those DVDs to be made. Uh, may, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I definitely. I mean, it's coming out of whatever it is. I'm sure. But if, according to them, there's still people that purchase DVDs in certain parts of America. So I think it's probably going to go away pretty soon here. But there's still an audience there. They, I don't think they would do it unless there was. But I could be wrong. You're trying to get me to hate my distribution. <laughs> no, I mean, I love Gravitas. I've worked on a lot of their releases. I've been involved in marketing, and I know we've had many movies on the podcast that have been distributed by them. But I can tell you from my personal experience of having a film distributed, the DVDs are where they uh, fuck you over. <laughs> they basically get their friends to make DVDs. They charge you like $5 a DVD to be made. They charge you like $5 a DVD to ship it to Walmart. And they don't sell them. And then they charge you like $3 a DVD to ship it back to some warehouse. And now you have 10,000 DVDs of your movie that you just I don't just think they made that many because I... I $70,000 on <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did. I bought, I bought one, obviously, just to have for myself. And it was like already sold out. Uh, so I don't think they have very many. I yeah, perhaps probably... they're doing print-on-demand DVDs. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Is, is a thing that's different now. Because that would have been concerning if I would have went on there and it was like, we have a thousand. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's too many. <laughs> Robin, I'm curious. What would you do differently about your film? Um, I would definitely get a second camera <laughs> uh, for continuity uh, or a scripty. Uh, that's what I messed up on because editing this thing was... Uh, there's, and it's all a lot of picky stuff. But, you know, as a director, you're just like... I know most people won't see it, but I'm just like... Ugh. I want to like see what camera did you shoot on? Uh, we shot on a black magic Ursa. Oh, cool. And yeah. how many days? Eight days. Eight days. Eight. Yeah. So, so less than a thousand bucks a day though. Well done. Yeah. And most of the money was actually uh, on the sound guy. Cause I knew that was <laughs> the most important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The problem with the two cameras though, I, at that budget is now you need another camera operator. Now you oh, I would have done it. Yeah. Compromising. 
Oh, you would have done it. Oh, interesting. Oh, I, I had to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you might be right, though. It might have, you know, I think it, it ended up being what it should have been. But I guess I would probably shell out a little bit more money just to, because when you're shooting that fast and it's a lot dialogue driven, it's almost like a play. And sometimes you get these really great takes and it'd be great to have that coverage without, you know, trying to trick the audience and just yeah, really show it. That's really interesting. I wonder if there's a world where a film of your size where it makes complete sense to have two cameras just rolling all the time. Like if your lighting is minimalistic and you can kind of just bounce back and forth, that almost helps you go even faster and more fluidly. That's interesting. I wonder if we'll mm-hmm. see more and more of that. I mean, I, I would say at the ver- I mean, probably with our budget, it would better to have just a, a scripty, somebody that's just constantly watching what's going on and, her hand was up and not down on that. T- like I just needed that. Cause I'm so, I was so consumed with everything else. I couldn't pay attention to all the continuity of, and they would make well, different Well, let decisions. me ask though, then not, not to get too in the weeds on it. What was your monitoring situation like? Because that oh, none, none, right? So then <laughs> I what, had behind standing behind the DP. So, so then was, would the scripty stand over your shoulder? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, I, yeah, they probably have to just like stand there and just see it, for me. It was not so much, I guess it would be more of just a continuity person. Not, not so much. They're going through the script. Cause we were improv improvising a lot anyway, but I would definitely have someone that's just paying attention just solely to the continuity of like this, this, uh, orange juice, uh, carton was here and now it's over there. You know, I just wasn't, uh, I did my best, yeah, yeah. but yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, the orange juice continuity is pretty important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or if you need a couple uh, orange juices, uh, VFX, then talk to Oren. Um, I'm curious, what advice would you give yourself? What uh, what advice would you give yourself at the start of the film? You know, it's funny. I I thought about this question, and just because of the pandemic and just how weird it's been, I kind of feel like that guy would have gave me better advice now. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I was such in a going for the stars, no one's going to stop me, motivated, positive beam of light when I made that movie. And this whole thing is, uh, besides personal stuff and, and the world, has kind of like got me to this, uh, this level of, of questioning myself a lot more. So I'd probably think that guy would give me better advice. You now. want a little <laughs> taste of that optimism again. Yeah. Yeah. When did you shoot? It was uh, the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, so pre-COVID. So way pre-COVID. yeah, yeah, way pre-COVID. So I mean, didn't... literally, my my festival run, my uh, premiere was supposed to happen, and it was like I think it was like oh, two weeks before. That's when all the shutdowns started happening, and I just kept going. Oh, it's going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. What what would be the the odds that the first time I make my feature film and it finally comes out? That this is the one year. But, yeah. That's so that's when you happens. started your campaign to recall Governor Newsom. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you were so upset about your film, pissed. your precious film festival premiere. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, I think nobody really was taking it that seriously. So, I mean, looking back, it was ridiculous. But yeah. at the time, you're like, no, it's just the flu. You don't know what is it? You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the what crazy thing wrong? is that at the time, it's like there's two cases in California shut down the state, and now it's like there's two thousand cases a day in LA. Yeah. Let's keep everything open. Yeah. 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 It, it wakes you up really quick to, you know, you, you have this thing that you're, you're striving for and you have that moment, but then when the world is suffering, none of that shit matters. 
It just doesn't. I love that though. I love, and that is to me like the hardest thing as a filmmaker is to remember the days where you just like, you know, got together with your friends and shot stuff and had an idea and just went and made it instead of second guessing yourself at every moment, which is what we all do now. Um, well, so what are, do you have any goals with the film now? Like what, what's the, yeah, what are your goals now? And I'm curious about what they were when you first started. When they first started, I mean, I really just wanted to make a movie. Just, I just wanted to do it and just say I did it and stop talking about it. Uh, and, and I, I think that what got me with the speech and just the way the world was changing, I think I got too comfortable and I was just, I think there's a lot of filmmakers that still like, I'm going to make this, my first film is just going to be the greatest thing ever. And they don't understand like how much of a learning process it takes. And I'm still learning. Like I still don't know. I'm, I'm about to shoot my second film right now and, and it's on a bigger budget and then I'm kind of, I'm a little scared about it because you know, it's, it's on another level, even though I've done this so many times, it's just different. But I think my goal was just honestly, just to get uh representation to just do and, it. Yeah. Gotcha. And did you, I did not <laughs> still on my own, still hustling. <laughs> I got, I got, a, I got a movie out of it. You know, I got yeah. to be able to direct another movie out of it, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's just a, it's a SAG ultra low budget film that we're shooting in October. It's a, like a horror comedy. It's kind of more in my, my love is horror of uh, love horror. And uh, so that'll be fun, but I don't think I would have got that gig if it wasn't for the short films and the fact that I did a feature. So it, it all led to something. How uh, how did they find you? How did this um, this film come to be? One of the producers met uh, a couple private producers, and I he acted in a short film that is proof of concept short film that I am shopping right now with the feature that I just finished. So they saw that, and then they saw that I did the feature. They watched the feature. They liked it. Yeah. So then he was it was more of a oh he knows horror he can do that, but also he's made a feature he can do that. So I think they're just kind of taking a chance and. Uh, Hopefully I don't uh, disappoint. And did you feel like the fact that you had made a feature, if you hadn't made a feature, you wouldn't have gotten this next movie? Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I I think it helped. I definitely think it helped besides just directing a feature, but the fact that I kind of did a huge amount of it on my own, like I animated the whole intro of the film, I curated the music, I edited it, like I did casted it like everything showed a little bit of confidence that they yeah, went through the gauntlet so you know it might be a different league and level that i'm still learning uh going i know you guys you've you've done and worked on a more of a professional scale than i have yet a lot of my stuff has been very gorilla but um yeah i think they they know i have the the talent and i got a mind for it but right now it's a learning curve of figuring out how it works on a more professional scale yeah man well you know what what's interesting to me about that is that there is a difference between having shot hours and hours and hours of sketch comedy or music videos or commercials or whatever, like short form things, even if they add up to well over a feature, it is different to do 90 minutes and to deliver that thing. It's on a different scale, even if it's low budget, it's like, it's just a, it's a different process and the skills are certainly transferable back and forth, you know, and there's a lot of craft and talent in, in both. Obviously, I'm not putting anything down, but I think there is something to just literally having done it, just knowing like, OK, this is what it takes to deliver a film. This is what it takes to move those files around. There's all sorts of stuff that we take for granted on short form that's just harder and slower and weirder and 
longer term on a feature. And I think it's, um, and pacing, like, uh, pacing, just all I learned, yeah. Yeah. I just learned as, I mean, I've edited so many things, but just, it was so hard to do a feature cause it's so different than like a music video. Right. Like, I mean, that's why suicide squad failed. Cause then they hired like the trailer editors to re, uh, re edit it. That was a bad idea. Um, wait, the new suicide squad. No, that one's great. The, the first okay. one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it, you, I learned a lot. I think I became a stronger editor. I understood uh, pacing a lot better from doing that. So I'm glad that I did edit my first film. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was tough. I definitely wouldn't want help on this next one. <laughs> like an assistant editor with this one. I actually, I want to ask Matt a question. You have a million dollars. You're a, you know, you have a run a feature film fund. You want to invest in a movie. Do you choose the director that has, made the $7,000 feature that wrote it, cast it, shot it, cut it, animated it, found distribution for it, marketed it, went on one of the top filmmaking podcasts to talk about it? Or do you pick the filmmaker who made the 17-minute short that premiered at Sundance that has a couple recognizable names in it and has like a crazy visual action sequence (laughs) in it? Well, so so that's the that's the question really is not the problem with the that premise is that you kind of you have to assume that both are equally good. Do you know what I mean? Like that that's the trick. If it's like do you pick the bad short film and the good feature or do you pick the bad feature and the good short? Like it, the the answer if you're an investor is like you have to follow the thing that is the most outstanding right right and so i guess the question the behind is, the question is does knowing about distribution does knowing about casting does that give you value as a feature filmmaker if you're making like a million dollar movie what so so i would say the experience of having made a low budget movie certainly carries forward into making a, a larger budget movie right but also the experience of making a price per minute larger budget thing that's shorter also has its own set of experiences that are valuable as well. Can you manage a large crew? Do you know how to deal with A-list talent? All, all of those things are important. And the truth is the way that people decide what movies they want to make is do they think that the movie this person is going to make is friggin' awesome? And how do they typically decide that? based off of the previous work and like the script and the lookbook and all of that other stuff. So if your short film is friggin' awesome, great. If your feature is friggin' awesome, great. Is it hard to make a friggin' awesome, you know, low budget feature? Yes. Is it hard to make a friggin' awesome high budget short? Yes. The, the truth is you have to be friggin' awesome. That's, that's the hard part. You know what I mean? And so like, uh, do you think you can pull it off as a short? Can you pull it off as a feature? That's kind of like a question of, what material you're excited by and what your personal resources are, et cetera. But like there are plenty of feature filmmakers who started on something in the $250,000 range or, or, or less that do studio features. Right. And there's plenty of people who do studio features based off of one kick-ass short. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's always, you know, the, the question of like, is you learning about ENO insurance and distribution and delivery and like the formats that AV, AVOD versus whatever, you know, streaming, does that give you value as a feature director? Or is that 
spending a lot of time. Will you get hired to be a feature director because you know the difference between AVOD, TVOD, and SVOD? No. Will it help you? Yes. I think that's the same as like just knowing a little bit about everybody's department. I think it makes you a better filmmaker personally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, you, you have to struggle. A lot of people have to struggle to make their own stuff and have to wear a lot of hats. But I think there's a lot of value there that you can learn. I mean, just I, I learned how to edit on my own just because I knew I had to do it. And I'm so happy because it became a, a passion of mine. I do love editing. It's just it just can get, you know, it gets it's like it's like your kids. It's like you love them, but it's like, God, just leave me alone right now. <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> can be lonely. <laughs> yeah. Stressful. I mean, it's uh, yeah, that's um, I think also it's just like, what are your strengths? You know what I mean? Like, is it helpful to know how to do VFX in order to does that make you a better director? Yeah. Do you literally have to do the VFX on a feature film in order for your VFX film to be awesome? No. Right. And you get work thanks to being a VFX artist all the time. And sometimes you have to do it yourself and sometimes you just tell somebody how to do it. Right. That's the tough part, too, is like you get to you have to learn on your own all these things and then you get so good at it and you hear how much money you can make just doing that. And you're like, but then I don't get to be a filmmaker anymore. I'm just going to do VFX. I'm just a VFX artist now. I've, I've had so many times people are just like, why aren't you just editing? I know people. you can be making so much money. And I'm like, yeah, but I work with some of these people and I bring in my shorts and they help for free. And they just they're so stoked to work on this. And I could see that they're like keep going man they're making all this money but they're just like you're doing it <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's exciting to see that people do the thing that you wanted to do you know yeah because i think they're just rooting for you i think they're hoping that it you know that it, that it works out and maybe it won't you know maybe i'll end up getting an any job and sure I, I gotta i gotta do whatever i can to stay happy as long as i'm happy I, money, money comes and goes like i'm just i just want to do what i love and uh i'm lucky to live in a time right now where you can you know pick up a camera and shoot something with your friends and you know then just you can get it out there possibly so it's pretty pretty amazing time yeah well congrats robin that's awesome we're excited for your movie yeah thank you for being the prototype of our uh, of our new segment we have one final question the question is uh do you consider the film a success i do uh because i did it <laughs> yeah. yeah i have a lot of I a lot of friends that uh they they start a film or they get too close and then it all just falls apart and they move on. And I saw it through. We did it. Got distribution. People like it. I'm happy. Yeah. Hell yeah. There you are. On to the next awesome. thing. Well, Robin, where can people uh, watch your film? Uh, it, right now it's on Amazon prime. Uh, if you have a subscription, you can watch it for free. Uh, I'd love you to, you know, if you like, if you liked it, uh, rate it and review it. If you didn't, you know, you could probably just keep that to yourself. Uh, because I, I am very self-conscious. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's out there. It's on most uh, platforms. You can watch it. And, uh, do you guys have a, a, a website or social media or how, how yeah. should people find party with me? Party with me underscore official, I believe is the, uh, IG. We have a website, but my producer's lazy. So right now it's just robinaugust.com, uh, R-O-B-Y-N August, like the month.com. Uh, you can find a lot of information on there. Yeah. And a, a ton of awesome music videos as well. So thanks, Robin, for chatting with us. Now we're going to take one listener question. That's right. Our friend Chad wrote us a question. Um, he's a sophomore film studies major at USC and a huge fan of the show. Ah, thanks. Thanks, Chad. He's going to be on campus for the first time this fall. 
and he wants to know how he should best take advantage of his time in film school. That's that's question one. Uh, hit the cafeteria up. Go to the gym. Mm, there you go. Uh, what else do you do in college? I don't know. But it is wild. It, it, it is mind blowing to think like, oh, he's a sophomore and this is his first time on campus. It's pretty mind blowing. So, Chad, congratulations. Have some fun. But we'll get into the rest. But to finish up to his question, he also wants to know how he would get hired as an editor. He'd love to edit live action narrative, but all of his recent work has been in animation and or documentary. Do I have to write and direct my own shorts before other people will hire me? Or is there a more efficient way to build my resume specifically as an editor? Thank you so much for your time. So uh, thanks so much, Chad. First and foremost, how how best take advantage of your time in film school? I think I have a very clear answer, and I think, Lauren, you can get behind it. Yeah, drop out. Uh, right. you, you could do that. You could do that. Um, if that's not something that your parents are cool with, or if you're a person who really <laughs> needs structure. Um, who cares what your parents say, man? You know, who knows? Anarchy. Uh, um, that's right. He's going to film school. So uh, the thing I would do is I would dabble, experiment, try a lot of different stuff. Try every different position. You know, don't be too worried about. Hmm. Um, oh, you're talking about filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, on your head or like upside down, all of that stuff, all of the positions. I was, I was, yes, ending your, um, your sex joke, Oren, but in an awkward <laughs> way. Okay. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize you had the sex part. <laughs> it sounded like you you're were dabbling, just doing a Laurel and Hardy bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like the short circuit, like Johnny Five. I mean, Matt can take the most R-rated of jokes and just turn it into just straight rated G. Yeah, I can. It's one of your super superpowers. It's, I think it's funnier that way, frankly. But you know, that's just me. Anyway, what I'm saying is, is Chad, and it sounds like you probably want to be an editor. It sounds like you're you're pretty specific about that, and that is great. Try some other stuff out as well. Uh, if only to better understand what it takes to make movies, because I think that a versatile filmmaker is helpful and and you may fall in love with something else. Typically, 90% of your classmates are going to roll up and they're going to be like, I want to be a director. And then uh, by the time they're done, they want to be something totally different. Maybe a producer, maybe a development executive, maybe a sound person, who knows? They're going to fall in love with different things. And, you know, early on, there's going to be a little bit of pressure to kind of specialize because that's just kind of the way USC in particular is designed. You know, there's like, um, there's, you have to crew on other people's films. And so you spend a first, your first few projects like shooting and, and writing and directing and editing. And they are, they're kind of hard to do all of those things when you don't have a ton of experience and they're all kind of competitive and you can feel a little self-conscious and you can look around the room and say, oh boy, I've got all these talented filmmaker classmates and maybe I'm not actually cut out to be the thing that I wanted to be. And those kids tend to be really bossy and they say, hey, Chad, you're a really good sound person. Why don't you do sound for me on my thesis? And before you know it, you're a sound person. And maybe that's maybe that's your your destiny. Maybe that's your your lot in life and you're really excited for it. But I guess what I'm saying is don't let the the headstrong kids out there bully you into a position that you don't want to do. And also, you can change all of that stuff up. I did production design all of college, basically, and it served me very well. But um, I'm not a production designer, and I've never made a single cent as 
a production designer or in the art department in any capacity. So the lesson is don't let people bully you into being the sound guy. That's Chad. That's not bad advice in film school, <laughs> truly. I love being the sound person. Me too. Um, Me too. But um, I'm saying do what you want to do and don't listen to the other people is what I'm saying. Right. Well, on Chad's other question, which is basically how can he make money as an editor in live action narrative stuff that I think it's hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but before we move into that, go PA on stuff. I made my best friends and got the the best experiences and and was able to observe because I was a PA on student films. So fun. Go do that. That's the best way to do it, for sure. Some of some of my very, very favorite film school memories. I was like, you know, hauling gear for somebody else. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. It's very hard to be a, a professional editor. That's true. Um, is that what you were saying, Warren? Especially for like, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's hard to get paid to edit live action narrative kind of out the gate. I, I'm trying to think of when I first started in filmmaking, you know, I wasn't in film school and I wasn't in the film industry. I was just making my own shorts. And I honestly don't recall ever hiring an editor to edit anything that I shot or directed. I always just edited everything myself. So to think that I would pay someone to edit my stuff just seems unlikely but I'm trying to think of some of the first editing work that I got of live action stuff. And it was probably for like actor friends. Yeah. I wanted to shoot real scenes. You know? I think that what is going to happen, I think what Chad is saying is like once he graduates, um, how can he start working as an editor? And I think that pathway is relatively clear. So you'll start in the post department. And, um, you know, if you can practice becoming a, an assistant editor, an AE, you know, those jobs are a little easier to come by, you know, especially when we were graduating. There was a lot of reality work out there. You're logging to if everyone needed to log tape and you kind of would be in the building and slowly work your way up to being an assistant editor. And if you're like handy in all of the, the different uh, editing systems, if you know Avid and you know Premiere, you'll you'll be OK. I think that'll that will actually happen relatively quickly and you can maybe intern somewhere. But like logging tape and, you know, on reality tends to be. There's so, so, so many hours of footage from those shows that like you there's a lot of opportunity there. And then you become a decent assistant editor and then you can kind of ideally move into then then there becomes a ladder, basically, and you slowly work your way up. The tricky thing about being an assistant editor is that it's not unlike other assistant gigs where the person you're working for really determines how quickly you graduate, basically. There were bosses out there that really want the best for their assistants. And so they really facilitate opportunities for them. You know, if you're a showrunner and your assistant is a writer, you give them an episode as, as soon as you possibly can, rather than holding on to a good assistant who, you know, kind of gets trapped in the show. Same thing happens with assistant editors and editors. There are editors who will like share credits with them or, you know, put them up for work when you know, they, uh, uh, when opportunities arise and then sometimes you, sometimes editors just want someone to organize their footage exactly the way they like it. And those people are hard to come by. And so finding a person who you can essentially apprentice under, it's a little bit the luck of the draw. Yeah. I think the assistant editor advice is actually really good. I mean, 
you know, I, I get the logging tape thing. You're kind of saying plug yourself into the industry in an easy place to get a job. I do think if there's any way you can get an assistant job in narrative, uh, in a narrative, sure, you know, that's place that that's like obviously that's better. the best way to go. But but there's kind of like I think two different elements to this question. One is how do you get plugged into like a paying the paying system into the ed- industry as an editor, which I think is the assistant editor route. The other one is how do you become a good enough editor in live action narrative stuff that people will seek you out and want to hire you because as an assistant editor, you'll apprentice, you know, you'll see people editing, but you probably don't get a ton of like hands on time editing stuff. So, well, and again, that kind of depends on the, your boss and that's an early way for them to figure out whether or not they want to kind of put you up for other things. Some assistant editors are really truly doing the first pass and then the editor is doing cleanup. You know, right? Like assembling mm-hmm. things, and yeah, you're like, hey, find me some music. And they'll that be works like, for this scene. oh, hey, you know, Chad, we're really behind. Would you mind taking a crack at this scene? You know, that that's kind of the. But, but to your point, though, Oren, I think what you're getting at is that you kind of need to be side hustling as well. Yeah, and I I am a true believer in like if you like editing live action stuff, that's like. you know, like a live action narrative stuff, that's every editor's dream. It's like a director directing a live action movie. You know, people don't come out of the gate offering you money to do that for them unless you've really proven your chops. You had a short at Sundance. You had a feature that you just finished. You, you know, are really good at music. There's something, you know, outstanding skill. I think that's when you get paid. But until then, I think you just do it for free. You know, you find filmmakers you're really excited about, you find directors, scripts, stories, whatever. And you say, Hey, let me edit your thing. You know, I'll do it for free. And it, it, we've seen it time and time again, like you do three or four jobs for free and then, you know, you get a paying gig. People hear that you're an editor. They like what you did. Your thing won some competition. And so they want you to edit their, their short film. Yeah. And, and when we're talking about getting paid as an editor, I think, going from working for free to getting paid happens relatively quickly. And it doesn't, you don't have to work on a Sundance winning short in order to start getting paid. You know, I I think like if you deliver and you do a good job, word gets out, you know, and I think it happens relatively quickly. You know, it takes a, a couple years, maybe. Honestly, what comes to mind in all of this advice is thinking of our previous guest, Kara Durrett, who is a producer but who like told us an anecdote where she would go to the short screenings at South by and like watch the shorts and then introduce herself to the filmmakers. Uh, and I'm not saying that explicitly you need to do that, Chad, because it sounds like you're, you know, surrounded by filmmakers as well. And, and you know, that's part of the access that, that film schools give you. But what I am saying is that the essence of her idea was help other filmmakers you think are talented. So, you know, the earliest opportunities you're going to get from directors are going to be your friends and peers. So if you find someone that you really like in film school or early on in your career, and they seem to be hustling and to have that spark, to have that drive that it sounds like you have, offer to help them out. Certainly early on in my career, the editors that I worked with uh, were essential in things being good. I learned so much from them and owe them so much. And as a result, put them up for work any chance I had, basically. 
And so in the same way that Kara, you know, has teamed up with a handful of different filmmakers, I think that editors can be early collaborators with writers and directors and all sorts of people. And it's also just nice to be friends with people. So, yeah. And editing, man, that's the best way to get paid to be creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of all the positions. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Like I said, once word gets out that you're solid and you do a good job on a, a couple videos, people need editors. There's so much quote unquote content out there. You know, it might not be the most exciting stuff at first, but that's what the side hustle is for. That's what your friends short is for. And, and, you know, you'll, you'll gain notoriety and recognition and build a resume through that work as well. So if you can take care of the bills by volunteering first, but then very quickly moving into, you know, that style of editing or, you know, assistants make decent wages as well. And once you're in the union, it's it's solid for sure. So if you want to just, you know, if you're a film school person, maybe you're kind of a pathway person, maybe becoming an AE is the way to go. Yeah. And just as a, as an anecdotal story, my first feature, The Hammer, which has just been plugged so many times on this episode, was edited by Jacqueline Dean, who was uh, the assistant editor on all of Ron Howard's films. And I knew her personally. I was like, hey, you know, you should come edit this. And she, I mean, we paid her, but like barely anything. And, you know, she was just excited to edit a feature, be the editor instead of the assistant editor. And um, one of our listeners, Meredith Bragg, who's doing a directing a multi-million dollar film in New York, um, was looking for union editors, and we hooked him up with Myron Kirstein, um, you know, who's edited In the Heights and a bunch of other awesome movies. And Myron was also like, "Oh, you know, you got to talk to I have this assistant that's just amazing and like needs to edit like a feature, and it's it's this um very." very beautiful kind of like um apprenticeship model that still exists in hollywood uh it's very merit-based and that people prove themselves and so it's cool i guess it's uh not not as bad as matt thinks oren you always act like i think things are easy <laughs> and bad no i'm just kidding um okay cool well thanks chad for your question if you have a question or if you want to send us a voice memo just uh, email us, just shootapod at gmail.com, and we will answer your question at some point. Probably it'll probably coincide with a time when we have not booked a guest for that. <laughs> well, lucky them. <laughs> well, cool. Should we hop into unpaid endorsements with Robin? Let's do it. Unpaid endorsements. What do you got, Robin? Uh, I mean, as far as shows, I, I absolutely was in love with uh, White Lotus. I wish I had more oh, yeah. episodes. I'm really into um, uh, Reservation Dogs right now. I'm going to watch that too. FX, right? Oh, it's so good. So good. And I, I grew up, you know, near San Inez County. So I went to the, to the reservation there a lot. My my uh, my nephews are Native American. So it was just really cool to see a show explore that. It's a really, really funny show. And uh, I, as far as like programs, I, I just discovered Milanote. Do you guys know that? Mm-mm. It's kind of like an art board you can like uh create these um these like little sections where you can just like if you have like characters or like uh, lighting uh cinematography you gotta add all these different uh folders and you can throw in these photos like super easy um almost like a vision board and throw in links right. and how comments do, how do you spell it uh milanote m-i-l-a-n-o-t-e oh milanote yes i have heard of yeah that. but it's really cool to definitely like just start adding like pictures and ideas and links to like even just like camera move like I, you see something 
they're like, I like this camera movie. You can send it to your DP or your, you know, art department, show them different things. It's like, it's, you can share. How do you uh, take a video and put it in your Millinote? I think there's like actually a link on the side. You can add like photo, uh, link, comments, and you can just tap in a link and just, you can just easily just throw it over the picture. It's really very user-friendly, very simple. And I'm still trying to find a, I think you guys mentioned one, like an easy, I draw, but man, storyboarding, drawing forever. I'd love to have like a fast storyboarding uh, app that'd be really quick, but I still haven't discovered something that I could really get into that right away. Yeah. There's yeah, no such thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm dreaming of it as well. <laughs> we talked about that music video. I'm blanking on the name now, but they they use a lot of. Uh, I think it's called Media Forge, which is like program for storyboarding, where it's like you have 3D models and a bunch of different pieces and kind of like put that stuff together. And I actually thought, oh, maybe I should check that out, but it feels pretty dated. It feels like there there has to be a more updated version of basically just a dumbed down 3D program specifically for storyboarding i feel yeah. like there was one i did get into a little bit it still was difficult it was like took forever just to get like one i'm like i can yeah. draw this faster <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you're like okay well once i set all this stuff up it feels dumb um but yeah uh well cool man that's awesome Oren, what you got buddy i'm gonna just go ahead and endorse a an article that i read on nofilmschool.com uh, titled why the vfx team of the boys avoids green screen at all costs so there's this guy steven fleet s-t-e-p-h-a-n fleet he's the vfx supervisor on the boys which if you haven't seen it's like a really good show on amazon prime so when you're done with party with me you should check it out the vfx are so good steven fleet has been a guest on uh, a previous endorsement the vfx artists react the corridor digital show on YouTube. Oh yeah, Corridor Digital. Yeah, I used to work at a bar. They used to come in all the time over in downtown. Oh, those cool. guys. Yeah, they, their studios Wait, like right there. What was the name of the bar? Villains Tavern. Oh, oh yeah, Villains, yeah, sure. right by Crazy yeah. Guineans. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he owned it. Studios. Crazy yeah, Guineans owned it. I had to deal with him quite a bit. Oh, I love quite I crazy. Love, I love. Guineans. Did you guys just call him Crazy for short? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he would allow me. He's he's kind of intimidating, to be honest with you. He would never give you deals. He owned Willow Willow Studios. He'd never give you like I was like we were friends, and he would never still give you any deals. I'll, I'll give you the quick backstory, everyone. So so basically, in the like '90s and 2000s, there was a, a guy called Crazy Gideon, and he owned an electronics liquidation warehouse downtown. And you'd see him on TV spots. He'd be like, "I'm Crazy Gideon, you know, come buy this TV before I push it off the roof." And then he'd push a big screen TV off the roof, or like he'd like you know, uh, set a stereo on fire or whatever. And he was like, I, my, my prices are so crazy. And he'd be screaming and stuff. And so that electronics warehouse downtown, eventually he turned into a bunch of standing sets. So it's like three stories of like doctor's offices, jails, apartments. hospital rooms, apartments, I bars. Think he has an insane basement, right? Yeah. Like a horror movie basement. All sorts of weird stuff there. And it's like a good budget option. You know, the security is terrible. There's no insulation. The windows don't close. But if you need two good angles of a bar and a and a doctor's office and a you know a weird '80s apartment all in the same day, Gideon will hook you up. But so he still kind of shuffles around that building, like he's like a a living ghost, and also has this um, like sort of like a goth. That, you know, uh, Villains Tavern is like, it's I mean, themed. They have a bluegrass basically. band there sometimes, right? Yeah, goth isn't the right word, but it is themed. Well, they're closed now. 
They shut. Oh, down. is it? Is villains yeah. over? Oh no. Yeah, they shut down. Yeah, they're done. Uh, that's it was, a, it was a cool bar. Yeah, it was a cool bar. That's a shame. Uh, he, 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 he used to always say he owned it too, which was funny because he only owned he, the property and they the rented property. it from him. Yeah, yeah, but he was like on TMZ saying, "Yeah, I own the." I, and, he was, and he called it a discotheque, but that was really funny. He was on TMZ <laughs> and he <laughs> said, "Yeah, I own Villains Tavern, the discotheque," and we all just would laugh about it. Uh, wow. Anyway, so this article, why the VFX team and the boys avoid green screen at all costs, doesn't really deliver on the headline of the article uh, because they they do shoot green screen and blue screen, but in general, they talk about how they prefer to roto stuff and shoot like the special visual effects elements in the actual location and just uh, cut it out in post instead of using green screens and blue screens that make things not match as well the lighting conditions something you know you'll do blue screen indoors even though it needs to go into a scene that's outdoors and and he just talks about how why why the visual effects on the boys look so good and it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that they try to avoid green screen and blue screen and just shoot the elements in the same places that they're shooting the rest of the scene um, and just kind of figure out how to deal with it in post. So I like it. I'm a, you know, I, I, I don't mind green screen, but I do think that there's this kind of attitude that it's like kind of this one, one stop solution for every visual effects problem ever. And I love hearing these high end visual effects artists say that they don't like it. So Love it. That's it. Okay, Enlo, what do you got? All right. Well, uh, inspired by our conversation, I'm going to do a throwback to a movie that, frankly, I don't recall super well, but has always stood out as an early uh, indie hit. It's a movie called Chuck and Buck. Yeah. And it's written by Mike White, Mike White. directed by yeah. Miguel Arteta. And uh, kind of launched both of their careers. And the reason I bring it up, obviously, is because we're talking about low-budget movies. And also, uh, Mike White is the uh, creator and writer of White Lotus. So a little more evidence that low-budget movies maybe launch careers. Yeah, he's he, Mike White's amazing. I, I, I don't think I've, he's made something I hated. I will say it's hard to compare a 2021 low-budget movie with a year 2000 low-budget movie. That is true. That is true. Um, the cameras are so much better now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I get your point, Oren. But, um, but you know, it, it, listen, it's a it's a rule begging to be broken. So, um, if I'm telling people one thing, it's to just shoot it. So, yeah, um, Let's go make your short film. Yeah, you can make your short film or your feature, whatever you want. Just shoot it. I think it's. I need to get a hat. I've been wanting progress. to get a hat from you guys. Hey man, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. I'm getting one. Ten dollar uh, tier, you get that hat. Thanks for the excuse for the plug. And uh Robin, thanks so much hey, for joining us. Maybe if thank you, you so much uh, for having me. If you get a hat, maybe I'll throw in a DVD copy of the hammer. Would you really? Box. Yeah. Blu-ray? Listen, it's a sore subject, but we never I made some Blu-rays for myself for festival screenings, but uh we never had one printed officially. Okay, how about this? You send me the DVD and an actual hammer from yeah. Ace Hardware. And then um, Number Square. Well, I can send you a, a Vimeo link of the movie in high def. <laughs> that'll um, work. That'll work. But I'll write it out on a piece of paper, and you're going to have to type it into your there you go. Um, web browser. Well, don't mess yeah, it that's, up. That's been my life for, for 21 <laughs> years. Uh, well, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Robin. It was really great talking. Congrats on your film. And... Uh, Thank you. If you have any questions or comments, if you want to weigh in on the debate of 
if you should make a $10,000 short film or a $10,000 feature, feel free to email us. That we're at justshootitpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a feature and you want to be featured in our new feature feature, in our new feature feature, our feature autopsy, um, email us also, justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. I'm on Twitter at SmiteyPileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media, including Letterboxd. Shout out to the people who followed me on Letterboxd. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. I think this is our, our we, we're already saying goodbye to Derek Aiello, but one last time. Thanks again, buddy. Uh, he was our social media maestro. Um, and that's all she wrote. And Thanks, everyone. Me, and the music oh, she, you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the Artist Jazar. And that's all she wrote. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.